Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be in the Lord's house with the Lord's people, worshiping together. I'm grateful to have to be a part of this body of believers and to call this uh, my home congregation. It's a privilege and a blessing. <clears throat> um, maybe a bit of introduction. I've been um, preaching through uh, several messages on faith, and I realized as I began studying for this message, I've, pre I've been preaching on faith, but I haven't talked about at all what it means to come to faith. What does it mean to come to faith? We've talked about faith and what faith is, but I came to the realization that I haven't preached on what, on how, on, on coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to do that here this morning. Some of you all um, <clears throat> may be uh, considering instruction class. And I believe it's really important for us to understand our sinfulness before God as we think about um, becoming a part of the church body and coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe a very important element of that is that we understand and recognize our sinfulness before God. Um, I have this text here that I'll be preaching from most of the morning, uh, but I, would, I don't necessarily have a number of points to go through. I believe uh, this morning I'm going to be taking the expository approach rather than having a list of points to preach from. And so, um, as we know, this text here, uh, Mel read for us, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, starts out by saying, Jesus went out... Jesus went on to the Mount of Olives. Um, so there's more, I believe, to it than just this phrase. And so I believe we do well to go back. Uh, as we know, scripture wasn't, uh, when scripture was originally penned, it was not penned with chapters and verses. Um, it would have been uh, one continuous, uh, in some cases, one continuous letter. In the Gospels, it might have been split up uh, in various themes. But uh, this is good. It's good for us to have the divisions like this. But sometimes, in a case like this, we do well then to go back to get a little bit of historical context here. And so I want to do that this morning. Jesus here says, went out onto the Mount of Olives. Well, what happened just before he went out onto the Mount of Olives is what I'd like to look at. So write the previous chapter. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And uh, we want to look at what was happening just prior to this occasion here today. And verse 37 is when where I want to start in chapter 7 of John. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, and so here we see um, Jesus gives a little bit, or the scripture gives us a little bit about what was happening just before this. So this would have been the last day of the feast here says, the great day of feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying. Then he says this, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. 
He, let, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So what did Jesus do when he said this? He is acknowledging himself as being the source of water, the source of life, if you will. Because he goes on, he says, He that believeth on me, he that believeth in me, as the scripture has said, he's, he's saying, I have been prophesied, this was going to happen, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now Jesus is in the temple here. It says here he's standing, he stood and cried. And so as I picture this event, um, Jesus would have been standing somewhere in the temple, uh, maybe in the court of Gentile, I'm not sure where he would have been, it doesn't really matter, but somewhere he was standing and he had an audience and he taught them. And then verse 39 gives us a little bit of uh, what he was speaking about. And then verse 40 gives us a little bit, little, little more detail of what happened next. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Has not scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? And verse, verse 43, so there was a division among the people because of him. So Jesus is teaching and he's giving uh, this teaching and the people are hearing his teaching and they're, they're starting to be divided on what they believe about who Jesus is. And so there was division because of that. Verse 44, um, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. So apparently the, the contention was sharp enough where the, uh, the officers actually were involved. The officers of the, uh, of the uh, temple officers would have been the Jewish representative of the legal system there in, in, the, in the temple. Um, the Romans would have got involved eventually if it would have got out of hand. But so the officers were involved. And they, they, some of them, it appears as if some of them would have liked to take Jesus. And the others were not sure. Let's read on. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto him, Why have ye not brought him? So the chief priests and Pharisees were after Jesus here. And they said to the officers, when they came to report to the chief priests and Pharisees, why didn't you bring Jesus? Why didn't you bring him? The officers answered, never speak like this, never spake man like this man. And so they, I don't know what happened, but they couldn't take him. Never spake man like this man. Verse 47 then we see, then answered them the Pharisees. Okay, so now the Pharisees responded to the officers. And they said, are you also deceived? Are you also now following Jesus? Are you also now going to be one of his? They were upset at these officers that they didn't bring Jesus to him. Now remember, this is happening on the last day of the feast, the day just before the event that Mel read for us here this morning. What I see is a buildup of hype coming up here. These Pharisees and scribes are getting really, really uh, agitated by Jesus and his teaching. 
And then they ask the, the, uh, the, the, the chief priests and Pharisees here in verse 48, they have another question. They said, have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? Is there any more in our ranks that are believing on this man? And then they make reference to Jesus' followers here. They said, but this people who know not the law, these people are cursed. In other words, they are running down Jesus and his, and his followers. They're saying, those people are accursed. You see the spirit of the Pharisees and scribes coming through here, these religious leaders? Now, if you turn one more verse over to verse 50. Beautiful, beautiful picture here coming through. Now, again, remember, I just want you to remember, this is happening on the day before what Mel read for us here this morning. And Nicodemus said unto them, this man who came to Jesus by night, he apparently was sitting here with the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests. He apparently was one of them. And he says this. Does our law judge any man before it hear him? And know what he doeth. So Nicodemus is simply saying, you know, guys, you know, maybe we should hear him out first. before we just condemn, condemn him like this. Look at what the Pharisees and scribes, how they responded to Nicodemus. And here again, you see their, you see their hypocrisy and their, their, they're just dripping with it. Hypocrisy and their iniquity is just coming through. It's just dripping off of them. It's just, they're just, you can't, you can't just not see it. Verse 52, they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? In other words, they began to mock him to say, Oh, you're from the Galileans too, huh? And, they, and then they say to Nicodemus here, Search and look, for out of Galilee arises no prophet. All right, so they challenged Nicodemus pretty hard here. They said, ah, you're, you're off the rocker too, Nicodemus. Well, so now, verse 53 this is, this is, I believe this must have been the end of the day, right here. And uh, it says, every man went unto his own house. Now let's just pretend like there is no chapter division here. And uh, we see then that Jesus went onto the Mount of Olives, okay? So at the end of this contentious uh, uh, day, every man went to his own house, and Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives and stayed there the night. Do you see, do you see, do you see this building up to something? There, something is stirring. I would imagine these Pharisees and scribes and chiefs priests, they went back to their, they went back to their house where they lived or wherever they were staying. And I would imagine they had some pretty healthy, or healthy, they would have had some pretty long discussions about this when they got home about this Jesus of Nazareth and how that even Nicodemus seems to be kind of siding with him and, and you know these things are just getting out of control. Maybe they even came up with a plan that night. Well, let's go on. In verse 2 of the passage that Mel read, 
it says this, and early in the morning, he came again onto the temple. This is Jesus. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. What a beautiful picture this is. Early in the morning has the idea of getting up before daybreak. They were there when the sun was coming up. Are you that hungry for God's word that you would get up when it's still dark and commune with Jesus? These people were, there was apparently people there. We don't know how many. But they all came to him and he sat down and taught them. Now, I believe the Pharisees and scribes were also here. They were watching and looking. Maybe they had this all planned out. Maybe they knew about this woman. The day before. Maybe she was to be on trial soon. Or maybe they thought this would be her trial. But they were using her and her sin as a pawn. So I look at this account and you see it all unfold. You feel really badly for this woman. She was simply a pawn for their agenda. Let's turn now. No, let's let's go on here just a little bit. I want to turn back into Matthew and examine a few things that Jesus had to say about the uh, about the uh, Pharisees and scribes at one point in time when he was teaching his the the people that were sitting around him. But for now, we want to continue on here for a little bit. And the scribes and Pharisees. I would assume this happened right soon after they sat down. The scribes and Pharisees came, and um, they brought this woman. Brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. What are they saying? They're saying there is absolutely no question that this woman has sinned. Because she was caught in the very act of adultery. I, you know, I don't want to be too hard on the Pharisees and scribes, but I don't know. I just see, I just see just hypocrisy here again. Just, just loads of it. chapter 8 verse 5 they say this they go on to say this woman was taken she was in a very we caught her at it it basically is what they're saying now they say now Jesus Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned but what do you say so Go back and see how they addressed him. They said, they said unto him, Master, and just the day before, they were saying he is scum, 
And now they come to him and they say, oh, master. Just, again, just hypocrisy. They didn't think he was a master, but they came to him and appealed him to him in that, in that way. Now, let's look at what the law actually says. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, there's a passage that will give us um, exactly what was to happen with a woman like this. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. So God's law specifically commanded that if this type of sin happened, there were both the adulterer and the adulteress were put to death. They were to be stoned. There's another passage that gives a little more detail in Deuteronomy. So these, these Pharisees and scribes were justified in their claim, you could say, according to the law. And they brought this to Jesus, and now they put Jesus on a spot. <clears throat> or they thought they were going to trap him. It tells us there, in verse 6, they, this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. So they did this. They were setting all this up so that they would have a reason to accuse him. Remember what happened the day before? These guys were out to get Jesus today. And they were going to prove something here. They brought him to her, or they brought her to him, and they said, this is what the law says, Jesus. But what do you say? What do you say? What is your perspective, Jesus? You great teacher, you master. Now this, this opened up a tremendous teaching opportunity for Jesus. Every crisis have a has a teaching opportunity, doesn't it? It can either teach us, or it can teach whoever is involved. It can teach us uh, something. Every crisis has an opportunity what has a teaching moment within it. <clears throat> Let's turn back and just examine a little bit what Jesus had to say to the Pharisees and the scribes back in Matthew chapter 20. Sorry, it was Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. I don't know, was this at the same time, during the same occasion, or was it one other occasion when they were in the temple? Jesus has some really strong words for the Pharisees, for the Pharisee kind of attitude. Um, it can come through um, in our, even in our lives. In, in, in my life, I find myself needing to continually find myself checking my attitudes. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Here he calls it, hypocrites. For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, 
and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. He says, you should have done these things. These ought you to have done, but not left the other undone. So he's, he's, he's not saying that they shouldn't have tithed on, on mint and anise and cumin. But, you know, you're ignoring the weightier matters of the law, and, and yet you're, like, breaking off one little tea leaf of the ten leaves that are on that mint. You break one off and drop it in a tithe basket. Okay, now I'm done. Did my thing. Now I can live however I want to live. Or they take um, the, the, the anise, I think it was, a, it was like a dill plant. And so, break, you know, if, that, if they had 10 of whatever was on the plant, they would break one little thing off and give it, you know. That idea. And then common is a seed, a small seed. And so 10 seeds, one seed. And they made sure that they got that down to the T. And yet, they were full of hypocrisy. Full of dead men's bones, he says. And he goes, look at, look at the imagery that Jesus uses to describe these Pharisees and scribes. He says, you blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Think about this imagery a little bit. It's like you would have a cup and there's a gnat in it. And you're you know, putting it through a filter and you want to make sure that, no, I wouldn't want to swallow a gnat either. But, you know, you're getting it through there, you want to make sure that gnat doesn't come out. Well, at the same time, you've got a camel in your mouth. That's what he's saying. He said, you've got a camel in your mouth and you're there looking and straining out a net. He said, you're missing it. You're completely missing it. Think of the imagery that Jesus is saying. You get, you, you're getting it all wrong. You're swallowing the big stuff, but straining out the little things. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. He says it's like a nice whitewashed sepulchre. It's beautiful on the outside, but inside it's got dead people in it. He said, you're, like, you're just like that. Uh, this is Jesus, and this is his perception of who the Pharisees and scribes were. And um, we could go on there. And in verse, I'm going to just skip ahead here just for the sake of time. Verse 37, Jesus has this, how would you say? He makes an appeal to them. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? But you would not. I believe Jesus would go to the temple, he'd go to Jerusalem. This was his plea, this was his heart every time he went. Oh, that I could gather you together. And I believe it was true of the Pharisees and scribes too, if they would come. Nicodemus was one. <clears throat> Back to John chapter 8. 
<clears throat> so these men, dripping with hypocrisy and iniquity, brought this woman. As I think about what, was, what Jesus was faced with here, as the Son of God, no doubt he would have been thinking about some things. They come to him and they say, Jesus, Jesus, what do you think? What do you think about this? And I picture this here as a group of maybe 20, 25 men sitting around, maybe more, maybe 50, 100, I don't know, but a fairly, a, a group of people anyway around Jesus there, and Jesus was teaching him, teaching them, and here comes this lady, and maybe, I don't know, I don't know how many Pharisees and scribes there were, were there half a dozen, were there a dozen, we don't know, it doesn't really matter, but there was a group of them that came. And I would imagine they're dragging this lady over, and Jesus is teaching. And um, they bring her, and they bring the accusations to Jesus, a rabbi. Jesus does something here that is really interesting. I would picture him teaching, interacting with the people. Here they come. And... Um, They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what do you say? What do you say about this occasion? Jesus, I believe, at this point in time, would have maybe turned himself a little bit away from them. And he stoops down like this and he begins, maybe he's sitting down, he starts writing on the ground. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. And it says here, as though he didn't hear him. So he completely ignored their request. Just as if kind of turned his back a little bit and just ignored him completely. Now, if they're already uh, fired up at him, they're going to get even more worked up now. Well, in verse 7, they say, it says, So when they continued asking him. So picture this. Jesus is here. He kind of ignores the situation and just starts to write on the ground. And they, they, keep, they keep prodding him. I don't know how long this went, but for a little bit anyway, they kept prodding him. Jesus, you know, what do you think? Kept, kept you know, pushing in. They were doing this to trap Jesus. And Jesus just bought some time here. And by the way, this is the only time that we read in any of the Gospels that Jesus wrote. This is the only occasion in Scripture that we have where Jesus wrote something. And here he is, writing something on the ground. And oh, I wonder what he was writing. There's no way to know. And it doesn't really matter. But I, maybe someday we can, we can know what he wrote on the ground. Was it something that convicted these Pharisees and scribes? Was it something else? We don't know. <clears throat> but Jesus, they did this to trap him and put him in a position of making a decision. See, if he should confirm the sentence of the law and let it take its course, they would label him as being inconsistent with himself. 
See, because Jesus was known to be a friend of the harlots and of the sinners. And they knew that. So if he were to say, well, not a big deal. We need to love her and let her go. Well, they knew that. If he would acquit her and give his opinion that the sentence should not be carried out, they would accuse him of an enemy to the law of Moses. And it would confirm to them that he is one that usurps his authority and that he were to destroy the law and the prophets. If he let it go unpunished, he would be seen as one that winks at sin and even someone that overlooks sin. Thus, giving the impression that he is a prophet, he as a prophet is not concerned about holiness. They were using this lady as a pawn and Jesus knew the intent of their heart. <clears throat> Let's look at the method that Jesus used to refute this. Jesus first completely ignored them and began writing on the, on the ground. You know, I believe this is instructive for Christians today. We too should, um, when at times like that, take time, think about it. Slow to speak when provocations come our, our way. Think, think twice, speak once. I imagine this was a really, really awkward silence for those around him. <clears throat> when they pressed him harder, he then turned the conviction of the prisoners, of the prisoner upon the prosecutors. Do you think this lady had any question about whether or not she's guilty for what she did? She was feeling condemned, no doubt. No doubt she was feeling condemned. Look at Jesus' response. He says, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Jesus, this lady, was, was feeling condemned. She's seen, I, I don't doubt that she knew that she had sinned and transgressed the law and, was, and, and that the, she, her sin justified death. I believe she understood that. And I believe, I believe that's important for us to understand too, that our transgressions, we have a holy God who won't wink at sin. We should see our sin for what it is. It results in death. And I believe this lady knew that. Jesus then, he turned the conviction of the prisoner upon the prosecutors. Think about this. The prosecutors are here. They're prosecuting this woman. And they're saying, see what she did? She does she deserve death? Well, they thought she did because they're representatives of the law. And Jesus now, they're wanting him to confirm this. But by asking this question, he turns it upon the prosecutors. Now he said to the prosecutors, if you don't have any sin, let him cast the first stone. I would imagine this lady standing here at this point in time, she's trembling. 
because she realizes that stones could be fired at any minute and that her life could be over soon. She was in the hands of these prosecutors and nobody knew what was going to happen, right? Jesus is there, there's a group of people there, probably stones that could have been thrown. Who's going to throw the first stone? And the next thing that Jesus did, I believe, is also instructive for us. He again stopped, and he stooped, and he begins to write on the ground. Maybe turned away again and thought, those of you who are without sin, throw the first stone. So go ahead, pick up a stone and throw it. And he turns away. These Pharisees and scribes are now needing to make a decision. What are they going to do? The lady is guilty according to the law. We should stone her according to the law. Are we going to, we are representatives of the law, or are we going to carry it out? But if we throw a stone, we become murderers. Here we see the great work that Jesus came to do. He came to bring sinners to repentance, not to destroy, but to save. And um, I, I don't know if this lady had the opportunity to go back. Well, let's go on verse 9 first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Jesus is writing on the ground again. What is he writing? I don't know. Is he listing the sins of the Pharisees and the scribes? I don't know. Is he writing out a Bible verse of some kind? A scripture? But when they heard, but they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one. Even giving this detail, friends, look at this. It says, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. I don't know how many people were there, but apparently the oldest one worked out, walked out first, then the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Each one being, being pricked in their own conscience that they shouldn't be the ones picking up the stone and throwing. And I imagine this lady's becoming somewhat surprised that nobody's going to condemn her. So all that's left now is Jesus, and he's writing on the ground, and this woman. This is, this is what's left. Just Jesus, and Jesus is writing on the ground. I imagine the woman is looking and saying, well, should I run, or, or like, what should I do? And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Then Jesus was stooped down writing. And it says, when Jesus lifted himself up. I imagine now at this point in time, Jesus stood up. And he looked around. He was not paying attention before this, right? He's just, he's just writing on the ground. He stood up and he looked around. And there's nobody else around. except this condemned woman who according to the law should have been stoned. 
And he says, woman, where are those who brought you here? Where are, the, where are your accusers? Where are those who brought you here? Didn't any of those people condemn you? Now this, I believe this next verse is, is probably one of the, is a very instructional verse for us as it relates to salvation. First of all, this lady was condemned. She stood condemned according to the law. She comes before Jesus. Jesus doesn't condemn her, and neither does anybody else there. And Jesus says, no man, or I'm sorry, and this woman said, no man, Lord. And um, Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. This next phrase uh, is very, very important in this passage. Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. So as a sinner, we see our sin, we see our need for a savior, and we come before the Lord feeling condemned. He doesn't condemn us. He reaches out in grace and mercy. By the way, I'm a little late in saying this, but the title of my message this morning is Judgment and Mercy. So he's standing here, he's extending mercy to this lady, and then he says to her this phrase, which is the second part of salvation, if you will. He says, go and sin no more. He now is appealing to the lady. He's calling her out. He's saying, there's a new way forward for you. Your old life you need to let behind and now go and sin no more. See, she was condemned. And her old way of life brought about condemnation. I don't know what happened with this lady. And I often wonder, we don't even know what her name is. But did she go back and try to reconcile with her husband? I don't know. Maybe if she did, her husband wouldn't take her back. Maybe she needed to live with the consequences of her sin. And yet, Jesus certainly would have inspired her to live a new life. Walk in newness of life. I have a poem that I want to share yet in closing. <clears throat> so very important for us, as especially instruction classes. You think about joining instruction class this year. To, to see our sinfulness and our need for a savior, and then to walk in newness of life. This is a beautiful picture of what that looks like for, for believers, to walk in newness of life. This poem was penned by a school teacher, and I'll just read it as it's given. He came to my desk with a quivering lip The lesson was done. Have you a new sheet for me, dear teacher? I've spoiled this one. 
I took a sheet all soiled and blotted and gave him new one, all unspotted. And into his tired heart I cried, do better now, my child. I came to the throne with a trembling heart. The day was done. Have you a new day for me, dear master? I've spoiled this one. I took my day all soiled and blotted, and he gave me a new one all unspotted. And into my tired heart he cried, do better now, my child. Let's kneel together and pray. Amen.